Okay, so tonight we are going to continue our study of biblical stewardship, and specifically we're going to be looking at giving. We're going to be looking at giving, so kind of the, the tail end. Kind of in, in some ways, some people handle giving first. I chose to handle it last because I think it's the, the, the funner part to talk about, um, and it, it really is um, something that uh, the Lord's given us to do joyously, and hopefully you'll see that. So tonight, we're going to just start into the lesson on giving as God gives. So if you, that's the main, main thrust, is that we learn how to give as God gives. Uh, as I've done before, I want to give you some little bit of statistics, uh, and these are the statistics are a little bit dated, but they're still accurate. These come from um, the, the book Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. So um, these just I won't give you a bunch of them, but just just a few to kind of set the the foundation. Since 1975, total charitable giving by Americans has run between 1.6 percent and 2.2 percent. Those who attend weekly church services give around, yes, you're close, close to 4%, 3.4%. So generous roundup to get to four, but you're close. Um, between 30 and 50% of active church members gave nothing. And there's a correlation. Again, it's not causation as we looked at in our men's study yesterday. Um, but, uh, the more money a person makes, the less likely they are, um, to give, the less likely he or she is to tithe, that is to give. So there's a inverse correlation. The more money they have, the less they give, right? So obviously this is not everybody, thankfully. And I will say that at, from the start, uh, this isn't a lesson to get more money out of you guys because you guys give generously already, so there's no motives in this to do that. Um, you know, thankfully, I can teach on this when we don't have a need. So <laughs> praise God for that. Um, but it, but it, you know, if, you, if you look at that, and it's not just looking at, at the world, but it's looking at the church, and I know the church, those church statistics tend to be very broad, and you know, who, who, who amongst those that even classify themselves as an evangelical, who among those are, are truly saved? It's, it's sometimes hard to, it's hard to tell. So it is a, it's a broad net, but it kind of sets the foundation for what we want to talk about. How, do, how does God desire for us to give? What does he want us to give? Um, is, are those kind of statistics the kind of giving that, that please God and, and honor God? Um, so the, the kind of the main thrust is is giving how God gives and and really kind of digging down a little bit further we want to we want to learn how to give um, to give our money away joyfully so giving your money away can be dead uh, can be a dead legalistic and painful experience um, just you're just doing it because you got to but when we approach giving from a biblical perspective, giving generously becomes joyful, voluntary, and a beneficial act of worship to our Lord and our God. So we're going to tackle the, the topic of giving by dividing the, uh, the topic up into like two major questions. Uh, two major questions. The first is, why should we give generously? That deals with our motives. And then the second part is, how should we give? That is the principles that should guide our giving. So Tonight, we're just going to deal with, with the first question, 
Uh, we're not actually going to get all the way through that um, first question, but I just wanted to give you an overall picture. So why should we give generously, dealing with motives, and how should we give, that is, the principles behind giving. So first, let's just start in to deal with why, why we should give generously. So first, and I tried to categorize this, at least this one, as far as importance, and that is we are to give generously to worship God. If you're not giving to worship God, you're missing probably the most important reason to give. It, it is an act of worship. And we try to convey that even, you know, as we, we've talked and, you know, in the past, we've had a written bulletin that, that with the order of service, it's, it's integrated into our service. We, we pass uh, an offering bag, not to try to collect more, but because it is a part of our worship service. You know, for a little while with COVID, we stopped that. We, as leaders, we talked about it and thought that was an important part of our worship uh, service. I know you can put a box in the back, and and if you do it with the right attitude, it's still worshipful. But we wanted to integrate that back into our worship service to try to keep that flavor of, of our giving, that it is um, given in worship to our Lord and, and to our God. And, and some of the passages that there's, I guess, two key passages that I wanted to take you to with that. The first one is in Proverbs. So both, both the first two are in Proverbs. Now, Proverbs 14.31. Proverbs 14.31. And we're just going to hit these. It won't be an in-depth study of, of Proverbs by any means, but Proverbs 14.31. And I will say that, uh, that, especially on this first point, uh, I was greatly helped by Brad Colossen's uh, lesson on uh, practicing uh, uh, charity, and it's very helpful, um, and that's at uh, gracechurch.org on their Men of the Word ministry, if um, most of the men are, are familiar with that, that we went the study of Proverbs that we went through this past summer, but Proverbs 14.31 says that he who oppresses the poor taunts his maker. But he who is gracious to the needy honors him. So the idea of being gracious to the needy, that is, you're, you're giving, you're meeting a need. So to give is to honor him, is to honor your maker. Now, as Brad Clausen notes in his lesson, Practicing uh, Charity, he, he translate, he says that, that translated as honor, the verb, the verb takes the, the basic idea of, of heaviness. That is, it conveys the idea of making heavy, as in, as in making God heavy or giving God prominence would be a, a, maybe a more current way to think that. So when you honor God, you're giving him prominence. You're giving him prominence in your thinking. You give him prominence in your life. Uh, Bruce Waltke, in his commentary, explains that to honor means to esteem a person as having value, to esteem a person as having value, and to declare him such to give him social weight or prominence. So esteem, giving them prominence, the idea of honor. And thus, Brad rightly highlighted that generosity with one's wealth becomes one of the most practical ways to demonstrate that God is indeed prominent or weighty in life, more prominent or weighty than wealth itself. So you've often heard, I, I would assume you often heard, you know, if you, if you look at a person's checkbook, you can tell, Kind of where their spiritual life is at, and and some churches have gone to the extreme of actually asking to check your checkbooks or your ledgers or all that. We don't do that. That's between you and the Lord. But some churches have done that because there is such a strong linkage between how you spend your money and where you're at spiritually. 
So that's something to, to, to reflect upon yourself. Um, Proverbs, another proverb to go with that is Proverbs 3, 9. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first from and from the first of all your produce. So it's interesting that the Proverbs are poetry, section of poetry, and they can either be contrasting or they can be parallel. In this case, is it contrasting or parallel? There's other there's other forms too, so those aren't the only two, but is is this I'll make the question easier. Is it contrasting or is it parallel? Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. What do you think? What's that? Parallel. Absolutely, it's parallel. So the first statement is saying the same general idea as the second statement. So the, the idea there is, is, you know, how do you honor the Lord from your wealth? And the word Lord there is, is his name. It's Yahweh. How do, you, how do you honor your maker? How do you honor the Lord God? How do you honor him from your wealth? Right? The second part of this gives you some practicality to it from the first of all your produce. So the first of the produce typically is the very best. Right? You don't give them the leftovers. You don't give them the corners or the gleamings of the field. You give them the best. And, and Brad, Brad Klassen uh, highlights here, I'll just quote him. He says, to give from the very best shows the place or priority God occupies in the life of the giver. Before enjoying it for oneself, one gives it to his Lord. So, you know, think about that. Is, is, am I giving in such a way that I'm giving the Lord my best? And again, we're going to talk more about uh, the practicalities of giving. Here we're just putting forth the emphasis that giving is an act of worship. To make him, to make him a priority. Um, with with your giving and here giving him your best is part of that worship uh, Brad um, in the in the context of this command uh, to honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce it it, it helps to see the connection between uh, giving and worshiping I mean if we look at the context that proverbs 3 9 is in you'll see the larger connection of worshiping God so if you, if you look at it, what is he saying there? Um, he is talking about trusting, like verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So trust in the Lord is, is something that, that is, um, it's not tangible. It's, it's something we do, but it's hard to measure. Where's your trust? But leaning on your own understanding is something very practical. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's very practical. Uh, he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Another, another term that's, Talking about not dread fear, but worship fear, reverential fear. So the context is that of reverentially worshiping God, and, and there's some practical handles on, on how to do that. And then you get to verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So it's right in the context of worship and some of the practicalities of, of how we worship God uh, and uh, how, how is our trust in God manifested. And Brad Clausen, again, I just want to quote him here. He says, it's noteworthy that the command in chapter 3, verse 9 comes in the context of Solomon's instruction to trust the Lord with all your heart, to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Trust and fear are abstract ideas. They are difficult to measure. Giving, however, is not. It is concrete and quantifiable. 
to honor the Lord from your wealth is the outward manifestation of trust and reverence. I, I think that's that's really key there. To honor the Lord from your wealth is the outward manifestation of trust and reverence. Few things show that a man fears and trusts the Lord, as does his commitment to give generously of his wealth and to make much of God. Another commentator spells out uh, really clearly in his quote, the meaning and implications for us. Uh, And I'll just quote him here. He says, the principle is clear. Keep God first. Give him not the leftovers, but the very best. He is a great king and our gifts should reflect his honor. When people offer lame seconds and remnants, it reflects poorly on their real thoughts of God. The application to finances is plain enough, but we should not stop there. How does it reflect on the place of God in our lives if we pray only when we have nothing better to do? If we start our day off with the TV, the internet, or the papers, and then maybe cobble together a a scant few sleepy and distracted moments hearing him speak to us in his word at the end of the day as we drop off to to sleep, what does that say about us? Are are we giving him priority? Now, that's not saying you you have to give him the morning. What it's saying is give him your best. So if if the best, if you're an evening person and that's that's your best, then that's fine. Give Give him that. Right. So we're not being it's not again, this isn't a legalistic principle, but give him your best whenever that might be. Don't give him the leftover. So reserve that time out and protect it. Um, the idea here, uh, it, I guess, another Old Testament passage I'll just I'll read to you. It's Malachi three verses nine to twelve. And here, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So God wants us to give, but it's not because he needs anything at all. Right? So all that we give, it, it's to worship him, but he doesn't need it. He just channels it and uses it other places, um, and he gets the glory, as we'll see. But in Malachi, that uh, Malachi uh, confronts the Israelites who were not doing that. And he says, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So God had commanded Israelites to to tithe, and they were not doing that. And so God confronts them on that. Again, not because he needs anything, but because it reflects the fact that they were not worshiping him with what he was already giving them. And then those tithes were then not available to help the poor to help support the, the priesthood and, and the temple and all of that. So he confronts them as if he's, he's um, as if they have robbed God, as if that were possible. It's a figure of speech for no one can rob God in a literal sense, but he is confronting them on the spiritual sense in this. So there are many people today who call themselves Christians who are robbing God. Think about those initial statistics where there's a high percentage of people who go to church every single Sunday worship God, at least, and, and they might genuinely worship God, but all the while, they're like giving him praise with their left hand while taking away praise with their right hand because they're not giving anything. 
And these things ought not to be. It's kind of like how James says, you know, if you, you allow good speech, you praise God, come out of your mouth. And then as soon as you're out of church, well, he doesn't say out of church, but I'm, I'm throwing that in. As soon as you're out of church, you go home and you, you like just have an argument with your family and all this ugly just speech comes out of your mouth. And James says, these things ought not to be. You can't have fresh water and salt water come from the same well. So he's pointing to our heart. So uh, I'm just highlighting the fact that it's hypocrisy to be praising God on one hand, while on the other hand, you're not giving anything um, to him of what he uh, has given to you. So God wants your worship. And again, it's not because he needs any finances. He certainly, he certainly doesn't. It should not be that that there would be something so common between unbelievers and believers in, in that um, in this area of giving. We need to be givers. Uh, and, and in fact, we'll show later that God loves joyful givers. Uh, you know, it's the whole issue of uh, of the scriptures and, and dealing with the issue of giving and, and finances call us to worship God by giving to him and giving him our best, not, not the leftovers. And remember that, that giving is that practical means of, of how we worship God. It's a practical means of how we show that we trust God. But it's not a legitimate substitute for the worship of God. You know, there are some people who go to, to a church service mechanically and they give and they give out of a, of a guilty conscience, trying to ease their conscience, trying to make up for something that they did. So remember that giving cannot make up for any amount, any amount of disobedience. And obviously giving can't replace obedience. Our, our giving is an acceptable sacrifice of worship to God when we give in response to, to having received his salvation, having received his common grace. Whatever we get, um, the Lord has given to us. And you say, well, I earned that. Well, yes, you did the labor, but who gave you the health to work that job? Who is the one who provided that job for you? Who, who, who sustains you every day and gives you the mental capability to be able to carry out that job? Who sustains your breath? God. At the end of the day, God does it all. We just kind of cooperate with him and he helps us through that. And we just want to honor him with it. So you can't buy your way into heaven. Um, all the riches of a rich man uh, will, will perish and he will go um, in you know, he will go into eternity the same way that he came into this world with nothing. Right? But um, you, there are ways, and we'll look at those, on how get with through giving we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven that, that far um, exceed any kind of treasures or reward that we have here. So why should we give generously? First point, we give generously to worship, worship God. Uh, I know I spent some time on that, but I think it was important to spend that. Secondly, we give generously to amplify God's grace. We give generously to amplify his grace. What do I mean by that? So if um, an amplification, you're just making something larger. You're, you're adding to it. You're, you're um, uh, adding your voice to the chorus on, on what God has done. So for this, I'd like to, you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 24, not because they all show support this point, but because this passage really has a lot to teach us about giving, and we're going to refer back to it uh, quite frequently. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm just going to read um, 
beginning at verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave first, that they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that as just as there was the readiness, readiness to desire it, there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread throughout all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which has been administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, to show and to show our readiness in taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you as our brethren. They are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and the reason for our boasting about you. So, Again, we'll refer back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. We'll look, look, at, look at these quite, quite frequently. But I just want to glean some things from this. The, the point is uh, making is that we give generously to amplify God's grace. And I wanted to read that entire chapter because it gives you a little flavor of, of what's going on. Here, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and, and he is encouraging them to continue something they, they desire to do. But it's but it's here, the, the message is that message of, of grace. So notice in verses 1, you see the grace of God. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Why is he pointing to the Macedonian church? Because they gave generously. And he says that. 
Then in a great deal of affliction of their abundance and joy, their deep poverty has overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So he's using that church to encourage the Corinthian church to also give generously, a point we'll come back to later. But, but what I'm emphasizing here is that this is something, it's the grace, the grace of God enables people to be able to give. And, he, and several times he mentions that. Um, in verse nine, he talks about through the Lord's grace. Um, and I mentioned the word, for, you know, he says, for, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty he might become rich. You know, twice he calls this a gracious work. Um, verse seven, he says, but just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance, and knowledge and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So they've received the Lord's grace, and he is calling them to give out of that, that, that grace and to give graciously. Again, he calls it a gracious work in verse 19. So there's a, there's a theme running through this passage on receiving and giving God's grace. So notice that they weren't just giving out of human kindness. You know, it's not like, oh, come on, have a heart uh, from a human standpoint. He, he was pointing to Christ and calling them to give because of what Christ had given them. Looking at the supreme example of someone who gave up wealth in order to, um, make, to bless us and give us spiritual blessings uh, here and even literal blessings later on. So it, it's, it's the idea that God's, pouring out his grace, we're to be recipients and then vessels of it. We're not to be a dead-end vessel of his grace. We're to be an instrument or a channel of his grace to others. And in that sense, we amplify God's grace. Um, James uh, 1, chapter 1, verses 17 and 27, I want to tie these together in kind of an application, implication type idea. So as God pours his common grace and his specific grace, upon us, then, then we become channels of that blessing to others. So when I talk about common grace, I'm talking about the sun, the rain, giving us good health. God does that for believers and unbelievers. That's the common grace. I'm talking about specific grace. I'm talking about people who have received Christ uh, as their, Jesus as their Lord and Savior, know him personally, been born again. So you're receiving spiritual blessings in addition to the physical blessings. Um, James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So just, just pointing out what I was talking about, that common grace. God's the giver of it all, even to the unbelievers. God gives it to them. But then tie that together with what James tells us in verse 27, where he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The implication is that we have the means to help the orphans and the widows, and God values that, right? Again, not because widows and orphans have um, a spiritual uh, like superiority, but because orphans and widows are t- people that often cannot give you anything back. When you give to the Lord's work of helping orphans and widows, you're doing it with the thought of you're just giving it. It's the Lord's, you know you're not going to get it back and you're just giving it to the Lord to honor and glorify him. So that's why James says it's pure. this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. Now that's not the full extent of it, but it's a, it's a practical outworking of that pure and undefiled religion 
and you know James is a book of a lot of practicalities and, and uh, it's very similar to Proverbs uh, from that standpoint. So giving is very important. So we give to, to amplify God's grace. Let me give you a little illustration. I, I think you get this, but just to help, just an illustration to help drive this home. So the, flat, the lights just blinked a minute ago. So if the lights went out, we probably would all have some kind of phone with a light on it, uh, I would imagine. Hopefully the emergency lights will work in the back like they're supposed to. But when a, a flashlight or an emergency light or the light in your phone is only valuable if it's charged, if there's something in it, right? How many times in years past did you reach for a flashlight and the batteries in it are either dead or corroded and it does you no good, right? So there's that reminder to just, you know, keep keep after those things. So the, the point is the flashlight only works if there's a charge in it or if the batteries are good that, that are in it. And when the batteries are good and charged up, then that flashlight can produce light and it can produce great benefit. It passes on that energy that's within it. it takes that takes that energy, that stored energy, and converts it to, to a light wave energy to, to help us do whatever we need to do. So the point is that grace, the grace that we receive of God, the material blessings, the wealth that he gives us, is that charge. It's charging us up for a purpose. And it's not so we'll sit in and kind of just just kind of corrode with keeping all that to ourselves, but to let it out, right? To serve a purpose, to help other people. And, and that's, that's what God wants to do. He, he pours his grace into us so he can help us to minister to others in his name. And then when we give generously, that's just, just pouring out those receipts. We're just becoming a, a, really a, a channel of his blessing to others. So why do we give generously? We give generously to, to worship God we give generously to amplify God's grace. And um, just for the sake of time, I probably will stop right there. The next one is, is we give generously to participate with God's work. And we'll, we'll just pick up there um, next week. All right, let me, uh, let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we just uh, thank you that, that you involve us in your work. You, you, you don't have to do that. You don't need us to do that. But Lord, when we catch a, a vision and that our giving um, is uh, is a worse is a way one way one practical way we worship you, we we magnify your grace and Lord as we'll see next week how we work with you. Giving can be quite exciting and a lot of fun. And I just ask that you would help us to to catch that biblical vision and to really see the scriptures and just learn how to give joyously, generously, and of an abundance of what you've given. Lord, your, your word says that you, you love a, a joyful giver, really hilarious giver. Just let's do your work in us, um, Lord, that we might be channels, merely channels, that people might see Christ, other believers might be encouraged, and Lord, that even that, that through this, that, that sinners would see a genuine believer, and, and Lord, that, that this would open up doors for us to proclaim Christ to them. Please help us to magnify you, help us to encourage one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.